Hi, I'm Garrett Hill, and you're listening to Life Students Podcast. Here we develop young leaders and guide them to their purpose. Life Students Podcast was formed out of a need for connection in a world saturated with negative content. It is our goal to create a safe place for young people to both have fun and hear the voice of God. Whether you are a member of Life Students or you just found this podcast, we hope that this encourages and empowers you to move forward with your walk with God. You're listening to episode three, and this is a live interview with Bishop Douglas White and Life Students of Silsby, Texas. Today, we got Bishop here with us. Uh, he's going to talk talk to us a little bit about um, him as a young person, how he overcame certain things, how he grew in God, what was his motivation, uh, uh, awesome things like that. So, um, is there anything you want to go ahead and say, Bishop? <clears throat> Very interesting that you can do this kind of thing. This is a... Uh, I've been on one of these Zoom deals already today, but... I was doing it with evangelists from around the world, and uh, but it's interesting to be able to to do something like this, and regardless of what anybody else on the face of the earth thinks, there are certain challenges that uh, young people have that adults don't often have, don't always have. Uh, so, in my opinion, anything you can do like this to strengthen you give you a better foundation to build on that's a good thing all right so uh first question how did you come across an apostolic church i I, we'd never been to any church when i was a little boy my mother took me to a dutch reform church in holland michigan a couple times and uh we were not church-going people. Our lifestyle was not conducive to anything that resembled a church. And uh, I, the first time I was ever invited to church, uh, I had some relatives that preached another doctrine that uh, they were more of a Trinity Pentecost-type group. They were distant relatives. I didn't really know any of them. Anybody that did know us didn't want a whole lot to do with our family because uh, the way my family lived. It sounds bad, but it's reality. Uh, Having said that, I had a few kids invite me to church when I was in school. I was getting in my upper years of school. Uh, I say upper years. I was probably 13, 14 something like that when they first started inviting me to church and uh, I didn't go but they invited me and uh, basically we just built somewhat of a friendship it was a very strained friendship because uh, <laughs> the stuff that I was doing was not the stuff they were doing uh, I remember one night the guy that was trying to talk to me about God I'd gotten up a little older, and uh, in those days they had a little car called a cricket, and its claim to fame is it was airtight. And uh, he was trying to talk to me about God, and he had been a friend, uh, and got in there, and finally I said, do you mind if I smoke? And he said no, so 
I lit up a joint, and, <laughs> and me and him sat there, and he was talking about Jesus until the pot kicked in, and uh, went in the house. I didn't think they'd ever let him be my friend again because he's supposed to told his mama he was witnessing to me and come in, and dude was high as a kite. He had never been around nothing like that <laughs> his whole life. So, But having said that, that's the family that really invited me uh, to church, even though I didn't go at the time. And later, they were instrumental in that yeah. aspect. Cool. Well, so what was your first service like in an apostolic church? <laughs> I'd been raised in bars, honky-tonks, had my first barroom brawl when I was 14 years old, <laughs> and I was convinced the people in that church were crazier than any bar I had ever been in. Uh, those guys were out of their mind. Uh, all the girls, kind of like y'all, all the young people, all the young ladies in the church, they wanted to wear them big old honking high stiletto heels. <laughs> well, we had wooden floors in the front of our church, and they get to stomping and screaming and shouting, and it sounded like a herd of woodpeckers had moved in. They'd have to refinish the floor ever so often because they'd pound on those floors so hard. Uh, they were crazy. Uh, they would remind you sometimes of our church as far as when it finally takes off and everybody decides they're going to shout except it was really loud because the building was about two-thirds the size of our old building where I came into the church but it was insane the shouting and they would get up and preach about things that I was doing just before I walked into the <laughs> church and I'm sitting here thinking they got somebody spying on me I was convinced they had people out following me around. I'd never seen anything quite like it in my life. But I got to admit, the first time I ever went and experienced it, uh, I, didn't do, I didn't do anything. I didn't pray through nothing like that. In fact, I'd probably slap somebody if they'd got too close to me. <laughs> I, was, I was about half scared because I'd never... I, like I said, I've seen barroom brawls, but I've never seen nothing like some of these people. And uh, ultimately, that's the very same church that I got the Holy Ghost in later. Hmm. So what was your your flip point when, when you decided that it's all or nothing for God? I never had a flip point. When I came into the church, I had absolutely nothing going for me. Nothing. I had a bad home life. My mama died when I was 11. Uh, after that, my dad would, if he wasn't working, he was off drinking. So a lot of times it was me and my sister. Sometimes we'd have a grandma with us or this, that, or the other. But I knew my nature when, I, now it's not to say I was perfect. I was a long way from perfect. Uh, but there really wasn't a flip point because I knew as, as deep in sin as I had gotten, that's all I had ever known. Yeah. It wasn't like I was trying to see if I could be a heathen. I didn't want to be a heathen. But as deep into sin as I had gotten, even as just a, a young kid, I, uh, I knew my nature. When I found this, I made up. Now, I wasn't perfect. I made a bunch of mistakes. Right. When I finally got in this, 
I never gave myself the option of ever backsliding. And every young person out there, don't let anybody lie to you and say, well, I can always backslide and I can always make it back. And it, it don't work like that. It don't work like that. I never, ever, ever gave myself the option that, you know, I can just fail God. I can walk away. I don't have to go to church. I just knew if I was going to stay out of a grave. Yeah. Because literally, before I came to God one night, I was running from some guys I'd had a, a beef with in a pool hall and lost control of my grandma's car, drive my grandma's car and drove up into a cornfield or some kind of a, and slid up there. Thankfully, that hid me from the guys that was chasing me. I was by myself. And being up there in the middle of the thing, but the way I got up there is I lost control of the car going around a corner. Right. And uh, so I just knew with my kind of life, if I was going to survive, if I was going to survive, it was either all or nothing. Right. And I never, once I came to God, you know, I, I came around church some back in those early days, told you a little bit about those, but... Uh, when I finally got a hold of God, there was never an option. I wouldn't give myself an option. The biggest problem right now, whether they're young people, whether they're adults, right. the biggest problem that most people have in churches right now is they give themselves too many options. Yeah. If I decide to backslide, I can go backslide. If I decide to go do this, that, or the other, I can do it. It doesn't operate like that. And thankfully, I learned at a very, very, very early age, uh, or early on in my walk with God, uh, I needed God. Right. I desperately needed Him, and I knew the only thing that would keep me out of a grave was getting my world straight. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't live for God halfway. You got to live for God all the way. Yeah. You can't just. You can't have one foot, uh, your right foot in, your right yeah. foot out. You can't. Do the hokey yeah. pokey with Jesus. Yeah, if you if you try to do that, remember this, and every young person needs to remember this. Sometimes people struggle because they've learned how to struggle. They have a pattern of struggle because they've learned to say, well, I'll be close to God today, or maybe I won't be close to God tomorrow, or I'll be close to God today, and maybe I won't go to church this week, and I'll... Most people mess up because they give themselves options when they themselves know better than to live like that. Yeah. So what has kept you from the time you started coming to church mm-hmm. till now? What What's your... I, I know the driving force is, is God, sure. but is there anything else that was extremely helpful yeah. to you as a I, young person till now? Obviously, things like prayer are important. I did fall in love with prayer. When I first came to God, after I'd, I didn't fall in love with prayer when I first came to God. I prayed because I was supposed to. <clears throat> but I didn't really fall in love with prayer for a few years. And uh, I finally fell in love with prayer. But the thing that really, if I was going to establish what really kept me, I had a good balance between having a walk with God for myself and leaning on, like your youth group here, uh, I had a good balance of knowing when I was struggling 
surround myself with the church. And when I was strong, make sure I was there doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I had a good balance. I had a personal walk with God. Uh, I knew him. I loved him. I prayed. Uh, again, I wasn't perfect because I wasn't raised in all this. Right. And that's what's funny. Now, I preach all over the world to young people just like you guys. And there's people that think that I was born with a Bible in my hand. You know, I came out of the womb quoting scripture and <laughs> baptizing people. And and it's just not that way. When I was y'all's age, I knew nothing about God. And uh, so the thing that really kept, kept me is uh, I had a walk with God of my own. And when that walk began to struggle, I was smart enough to stay around the people of God. And I was never one of these guys always wanting attention. Am I going to backslide? I need everybody to come pray with me every service because you never know if the next service is the one I'm going to backslide. Just never that way. It was just never that way. I was smart enough to know uh, I need God, and, and I've got to walk with God. Uh, but when my walk with God began to struggle, I surrounded myself with fellowship. Right. There's, there's strength that comes only from the body. Bible says we are fitly framed together. That literally means you have joints that hold you. To, and by joints, I do not mean the green kind. Joints that hold you together with the rest of the body. And that's, that's a necessary thing. You need to read None of you, none of you watching this thing right now, would make it 30 days if you didn't have a connection with people that loved what you love, that feel what you feel, that have what you have. Right. Make sense? Right. What or who was most helpful with helping you overcome your past? As far as overcoming my past, the Lord had to do that. Because, like I said, of where I come from, things that I wouldn't even say in front of these guys. Uh, the Lord had to help me do that, but there was this family I spoke of earlier. Right. His name was Herb Bowman and Rosalie Bowman and Scott, James, we called him Fudd. Uh, those guys, that was a family in the church there. Uh, Herb was not a vocal person. He was not a loud person that I ever heard. Uh, he was always fairly quiet. He was the dad. But those guys would go out of the way and come and pick me up and take me to church with them. When I didn't have a car, I didn't have nothing. I didn't have good sense. Uh, they'd come, pick me up, and take me to church. And there were others in the church that helped as far as made me feel like I belonged. Right. And that was a huge thing to me. Feeling like I belonged was a huge thing to me. Right. Uh, I, I was well-versed in being an outcast, well-versed in being an outcast. So uh, the this family never made me feel like a fifth wheel. They made me feel like, you can make it, you'll be all right. In fact, uh, the day my dad died, I ran into town to find somebody to tell me what happened. One of my dad's girlfriends told me that he had just died and I took off running down the road to try to, didn't know where to go because 
that was all we had, me and my sister. Yeah. And uh, not knowing where to go, the only place I knew that I felt like I fit was I ran to Rose, Rosalie's house, Rose and Herb's house, and Sister Rose opened the door and asked me what was wrong, and I told her, and she just stepped out and held me. And uh, she, to this day, in my opinion, she's one of the greatest ladies that ever, she's still alive. She's one of the greatest ladies that ever lived because she had a good family. Yeah. But she made this outlaw feel like I belonged. And that was, that was necessary. If I hadn't felt like I belonged, I wouldn't have stayed. I'd been an outcast my whole life. Uh, everybody thought I was a great guy. Everybody thought I, I was a good kid. But what those guys didn't see is at 11 years old, I was smuggling vodka into the school, stealing it from my dad, smuggling vodka in school. Uh, was it Van Buren School Elementary or Van Buren Middle School? Something like that. It was in Holland, Michigan. And I'd go to the restroom before lunch, and I'd sit there on the toilet and drink half the vodka. After lunch, I'd go back, drink the other half of it, and uh, I was miserable. Was miserable. Yeah. My whole childhood was miserable like that, because of that's that's all I ever saw, all I ever had. I mean, I, at some point you get used to death stepping into your world, you know. Literally, my sister and I are all that's left of our world and has been since I was 15 years old, hmm. and, and didn't have her for a long time in there because of circumstances. So that family. Uh, never made me feel like an outsider. Years later, some maybe some of y'all heard it, years later after I'd started preaching, started evangelizing, <clears throat> we had this guy in the church that's kind of like one of the fathers of the church. Uh, I'd been out evangelizing. They asked me to come back to my own church, my own church and preach a revival. And we had a great move of God. My bishop had already gone back to Brazil South America as a missionary and uh, had a great move of God and in that revival this guy that everybody looked up to everybody respected he uh, come up to me and said he needed to talk to me well you know I was raised around these guys you know they're the ones that taught me how to worship they're the ones that taught me how to pray and and he started apologizing to me I said I called him by name I said why are you apologizing he said I owe you an apology I said why he said, I remember when you first came around the church. He said, I leaned over and told my wife, I hope whoever he is leaves. He can go to hell from somewhere else. He said, all he's here to do is get our girls pregnant and, and bring sin into our church and this, that, and the other. And he said, now you're here preaching revival. And he said, a lot of the people that I thought was going to make it didn't make it. And uh, the same meeting, very same meeting, I had a sister come to me and from sat on the other side of the church, and uh, I'd been friends with her son as much as I could. Was, he never would really let me close to him. And uh, she come to me and said, "I need to apologize to you." I said, "For what?" I mean, by now I'm getting gun shy, you know. Yeah. I said, "For what?" <clears throat> and she said, "You used to want to hang around with my son, and I told my son your daddy was a drunk and." And you would never amount to nothing. And nobody else amounted to anything. And 
And she said, I talked about your family so bad because I didn't want my son to get connected with you. She said, now he walked away from God. He's a million miles away from God. And he said, she said, here you are preaching our revival. So if I had heard, if I'd heard that gentleman or even that lady say something like that, that would have been the end of Doug White for them. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would never have tried to go back to a church. So you got to be careful how you treat people, man. Right. Yeah, because you you can ruin you can ruin a lot for somebody just by saying just by saying something like yep. you know words are sharper than a two edged sword, and it it really words have weight. Whenever you yep. try to slander somebody, when you try to put somebody down, they 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 think that in their head. They yep. think that, you know, maybe I don't, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I can't do this. You know, we've got to, we've got to constantly encourage each other to yep. move forward in God and be, be that brother or that sister that helps them move forward. You know, we've got to be uh, their accountability partner in a way. We've got to make sure Absolutely. that they can, they, they know that you are there for them and that they can make it, that they can push forward, that they can do the things that God wants them to do and get to the place where God wants them to be. That's one of the reasons in all the years that I've been here pastoring this church, I've had a lot of different youth groups. When you're someplace 32 years, you go through a lot of different youth groups. Uh, But that's one of the reasons I've been very aggressive in even with my youth directors, don't allow there to be cliques. You may not fit with everybody, you may not be comfortable with everybody, and if somebody's sinning, for God's sake, put some distance between you and them. But one of the reasons that I've taken such a strong stand through the years on, on these cliques and things like that is because there's people that are only here because they feel like I belong. And if you ever, make, you ever are successful in making them feel like they don't belong, you'll lose them. Right. Just that simple, you'll lose them. Right. So, if you could write a letter to the to your twelve year old self, um, from from the years and the knowledge that you have now, what would you write in that letter? Twelve years old. Twelve years old. Hope's that, coming. If I could write a letter to myself at twelve years old, I'd say just hold on. Hope's coming. I had absolutely nothing going for me. I laid in bed at 12 years old with my dad's gun to my head. Had no clue. Didn't know anything about God. And the only thing that kept me from pulling the trigger was I wasn't like you guys. I wasn't like you guys. All I could think is I didn't even know that I didn't even think there was a God. The only thing that kept me from pulling the trigger and taking my own life was I kept thinking, if I do that, what if there's a heaven and a hell? What if I'm going to be lost forever? That's, I knew enough about God to know that there was a heaven and a hell. Yeah. Literally, that's about all I knew about God. But if I could write a letter to my 12-year-old self, I was miserable. I had a drinking issue when I was 11 years old, 12 years old. I was in the height of it. Uh, if I could write a letter to my 12-year-old self, it, it literally would be, hold on, hope's coming. 
It's, it's going to be a while. And you're going to feel like you're all by yourself. Uh, but even young people, one of the things that every young person goes through, every young person goes through it. You'll go through seasons where you feel like you're all by yourself. Nobody really relates to you. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. That is so absolutely common. But through the years, I've learned that when I feel like nobody understands me, I don't fit anywhere, I don't belong anywhere, I don't act ignorant and try to get a lot of attention, but I'll tell you what I do. I, I've learned through the years, when I start feeling like I'm alone and nobody cares, nobody understands where I'm at, from the time I was young, uh, remember, I, I was alone when I was a kid. By the time I was some of your age, I've been on my own since about 15 years of age, maybe a little younger than that. Literally lied about my age at one point and went and got a job in a factory. Uh, that's just, by the time I was Madison's age, I'd already been taking care of myself, living, paying rent and bills, everything since I was for five years. Uh, hope's coming. Whenever you feel like you're all alone and nobody understands and maybe I need to go out of the church and find a boyfriend, maybe I need to go out of the church, find a girl, just remember, it's been my observation that as a general rule, when you start feeling like that, all you got to do is turn to God because most of the time, it's God trying to tell you, I got the answers, but you got to turn to me. Answers ain't out there and all that other stuff. So if I was going to write a letter to myself at 12 years old, I'd tell me that hope's coming. If I'll just hold on, if I'll just stay above ground, hope's coming. And uh, I'm thankful. Every day that I live, Gracie, I'm thankful that you guys uh, don't live in the kind of stuff that I was raised in. But I will tell you this what I was raised in makes me a better Christian today. The way I was raised, the things that I went through makes me a lot better Christian today. Uh, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to be alone. I understand all that stuff, but it made me a better Christian and it made me a better pastor because I can relate to people that tell me I feel like this or I feel like that or I feel like I'm going to be held back because my family's this or my daddy's that or my hope hold on hope's coming just stay above ground hope's coming if you're 12 years old in that condition hold on you're going to make it I promise you you're going to make it because you've got one great advantage that I don't have and that's a good strong church I didn't have that at that age but when I got a hold of the church my world changed and for that reason, I'm here today. Right. Now, I'm going to add a little bit uh, on the lonely part. It's kind of just building off the same thing he said. I promise you when, you, when you start feeling alone in a crowd of people, that's God pulling you, trying to pull you closer to him. Absolutely. I promise you that's the, that's the reason you feel that way. And a lot of times we do feel that way as young people because 
God is trying to ground us now before we get older. Because if you get grounded now, yep. you're going to be unstoppable when you're older. Absolutely. You, when you take root now and you learn, you learn to trust God, you learn to pray, you learn to read His Word and understand His Word and study His Word, those scriptures that you study, those scriptures that you read, you're going to end up praying just out of, out of habit. You're going to end up speaking God's Word in your prayers, and you're going to take your prayer, your, uh, prayer life to a whole nother level just by studying His Word. And whenever you're, you're talking to people outside of church, you're going to be able to spit out scriptures immediately. Immediately whenever, whenever they're asking questions like, what, what is it? What do, why am I facing this? You're just going to be like, well, that, that's why. You know? yeah. And so if you, if you are feeling lonely, which we're all in quarantine right now, um, but even in this, we can still stay connected. Yep. Even, even in all of this, we can still stay connected through Zoom, through text messages, through calls, yep. uh, or whatever. People need to know that they're not alone. Yep. You know, the church is still the church, even though we can't gather together like, uh, like, we, like we want to, the church is still the church, and we still need to be our brother's keeper and call and connect with, our, yep. connect with the youth group. And I don't care how spiritual you try to be. I don't care how much you want to be the center of attention, the life of the party. Everybody on the face of the earth is going to be lonely from time to time. Remember the scripture says, I sat alone for the hand of him that was upon me. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone because the hand of God is on your life. And that's the reason God's letting you feel alone. He's wanting you to turn to him. Sometimes you're all alone because of the hand of him that's on you. Right. So how does your past help you today? I can relate to people that come from a long way off. I can relate to people who come into the church whose families didn't live for God. I can relate to people that uh, my, my introduction, I'd been invited to church, uh, but the first time that I ever went to church, my dad was shacking up with a backslider that backslid out of an apostolic church. and. Uh, the first time I went to church was not because I was invited. First time I went to church is because she got to telling my dad miracles that she had seen and things she had experienced. And my dad laughed, cuss her, and said, I don't believe that. I don't believe there is a God. Well, next thing I know, I walk in one day after school and my dad is laying in the floor reading the Bible. And we had never had a Bible in our home that I knew of. But he was there, I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm looking. And he would tell me that uh, his woman he was living with was telling him, scripture said this, scripture said this. Well, he didn't, I wouldn't have known where to find it. So he'd start reading the Bible and uh, she was backslid out of a particular church. And the reason he started saying he'd like to know more about it and so she took him to a church the other direction. And uh, that's the, the very same church that I eventually prayed through. It's a miracle because literally she, my introduction 
God and the church was really through her as far as going to the church. Yeah. I'd had others invite me, but uh, because of where I came from, I can relate to people that come from that kind of life. Paul said, uh, how be it for this cause God showed me mercy, that in me first he might show forth a pattern unto all long suffering to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That's just a fancy way of saying God saved me because of where I was at and what I was in the middle of, but he saved me so I could help somebody just like me right. live for God. So um, i got one more question. This is kind of a bonus, bonus round question. Uh, this is actually for you guys. So what would you say, what would you, what would you say right now um, if one of these guys right here just asked you, or, or, or what, would you, what would you tell these, these young people if they were fighting the trial of their life and they don't know where to go, where to turn, what would you tell them from everything that you've been through uh, to help them get past that. If it's the trial of your faith, there's that's the trial of your faith is not just a regular trial. It's something that challenges everything you've had faith in. So if you're going to have a trial of your faith, you're you're to the place that everything in your world is challenging everything you had faith in. Get a firm grasp on the church. Surround. Don't surround yourself with people that's going to give you a pity party. Surround yourself with people that are going to keep a heat, uh, keep the heat in your world, and keep you pushing towards God. If that's the condition you're in, sometimes you don't have the strength yourself. So the answer is you surround yourself with saints that'll keep you strong. Right. That's exactly what you have to do. And yet, what's funny about that is so many people do just the opposite, and they start struggling. The first thing they want to do is they want to. You pull away from the church, pull away from right. You got young people here. Right. Not a doubt in my mind. There's some of them that when they start struggling, they start pulling away. Right. Absolutely worst thing you can do. You've got to have the strength of the body. Again, you asked me earlier what, what it was that kept me strong. I had a relationship with God, and when I was in the trial of my faith, I stayed close to the church. Right. I knew that was my only hope. Right. Uh, that's all the questions that I have. Um, we'll, we'll go, unless Bishop has anything else he wants to say. No, I think they said that you said they may have some questions. So we're, we're going to go ahead and open it up for questions. I got all the time you need. Uh, so the way, we're, the way that we're going to do this so it's not so chaotic. I figure we're going to be quarantined for two more weeks. We might as well just do what we got. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do to keep this from being so chaotic on the. Uh, Zoom chat, so everybody starts talking at once. Um, we're gonna do the raising hand thing. I don't. Uh, I'm sure people know how to do it. Um, if you don't know how to do it, just raise your hand, and I'll try to point you out uh, for the people that have their cameras on. Um, so just whoever has a question, just go ahead and raise, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I just want to know how you met Mama. <laughs> well, my wife's dad pastored the church. That that woman I was telling you backslid. Yeah. 
it was out of their church. Well, I didn't know them in that day. I didn't know nothing really about them. Uh, they say that I met them, you know, like Easter or something one time. Something happened. But anyway, uh, we were 15 miles away, 20 miles away, whatever it was. And uh, her dad resigned the church, felt like God was done with him. But while he was waiting uh, to figure out where God was going to send him, they came to our church, which was a great thing for me. <laughs> they came to our church, her and her mom, and her and her little sister uh, were there. And uh, so that's where I met her. I decided I wanted her to go out with me. <clears throat> I was just coming there. I, I, I was visiting before I ever lived for God, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd been around church a little bit, and then... Uh, I asked her to, I, I, after my dad died, I went nuts, went out and did some stupid stuff and come back and I wanted her to go out with me and I asked her, she said, no, it don't work like that. She said, in my house, one of us girls are going to go out. We, somebody asked us out, they got to talk to my dad. Well, and that joker was huge. <laughs> and uh, in those days, I had hair way... I was, no way. Oh, yeah. I had hair, period, in those days. I'd love to see a picture of that. <laughs> I, I, I have no more. My wife, what few I had left were usually not fit for human consumption. So maybe destroy a bunch of them. Um. But uh, anyway, I said, well, I'll ask her, Dad. I don't have a problem with that. So I drank a six-pack on the way out there to ask him. And by the time I got there, I was lit. And... Uh, I asked him, and he looked at me, stared at me, and finally said, Boy, she ain't going nowhere with you but to church. And then you're going to have to get a haircut and look like a man. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that was the end of that, you know. But I went back into town, and she was pretty. So I, I went, and I knew this lady that was a barber, and I went and asked her if she could cut my hair late on Saturdays getting ready to close and she said yeah I said what you coming in last minute for because I have a head full of hair she said I told her I was wanting to go out with this girl and her dad said I had to get a haircut so I was going to trim about that much off the end of it you know <laughs> so do something real minor yeah. so I could hold him to it <laughs> and uh, I had no clue but the woman who was the barber went to that church <laughs> And so she knew what he believed. Man, I come out of that chair looking about like I do right now. I felt like it. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, cut she my does. hair. Oh, just, <laughs> man, I, I thought I was going to kill her. Man. I, 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 I invented cuss words. <laughs> it was horrible. It's horrible. That's funny. Uh, but I went, asked her out, and she saw my haircut. She started grinning. I knew she was laughing at me. Uh, there was a revival going on about 50 miles away, and she took me there, and a guy named H.L. Moran was preaching. I never heard anybody preach hell any hotter. I'm, I am convinced my father-in-law <laughs> called him up and said, my daughter's going to be there with a jerk. I want you to preach him into hell. I'm telling you, that dude preached hell so hot, I could smell the sulfur and feel the flames. Man. And uh, it was so bad. 
most people don't know this kind of stuff. It was so bad that I thought he was taking up a group to head that way today. Oh, man. So I got up, went outside. I had pockets full of drugs. Pockets full of drugs. I, uh, anyway, I went outside and opened it up and put it in a mud. been raining and storming in that area. And I put it in a mud hole, and I sat there with my foot, and I patted it down because I knew me if I thought I'd go back and get it, I'd go back and get it. And, uh, man, I threw away a bunch of money that day. <laughs> bunch man. of money. But that's really what got the hook in my jaw. Yeah. And uh, and she was pretty. Did I mention that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man. That's sweet. Sorry so. for the unspiritual <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know. Yeah. Yep. She, uh, there, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of compromise with Sister White. It was either living for God and we can be together or if you're not living for God you don't need me yeah and uh, she she uh, she has made me what I am today her and Jesus <laughs> so she she, she kind of helps with that question then Ooh, son. <laughs> she's yeah. got a lot more convictions than I do yeah a lot of people don't know that about Sister Wise she's got a lot more convictions about some things than I do and certain slang words you say oh yeah, I house. heard about that. You don't do that. Holy Jesus, it'll be bad. Yeah. Uh, playing cards like you'd play, uh, I don't know, spades or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. She, as long as I've known her, I've never seen her touch. We've got them. Me and the boys will sit around playing. I've never seen her touch a playing card. It's it's a serious conviction to her. Wow. Uh, stuff like that is just she. And, and she's quiet. She sits on that front row, and you don't hardly know she's there. But if she ever torches off, you gonna know you've been got a hold of. <laughs> yeah. So, does anybody anybody got any questions? Uh, you can wave your hands at the camera, and I'll know if you have a question, and I'll unmute you. Okay. All right. Hang on. Jeremy. Okay. Go for it, Jeremy. How did you become a preacher? How did I become a preacher? God called me. I didn't I didn't I didn't get it from pedigree. My pedigree was pretty rough. Uh, it was literally a God called me thing, Jeremy. God God uh I remember the night he called me in a prayer room. It was in a prayer room before service one night. I was getting with it. God called me while I was in there, and uh, I remember it very, very well. And then I went and talked to my pastor, and my pastor said, well, we'll find out. And <laughs> from that point on, I was involved in everything coming and going and preaching within a year or so after that maybe. And, uh, but that's how it happened. It was definitely a God thing because I didn't know how to do it. In fact, when I graduated from high school, uh, I was I was okay in school. I wasn't like straight A and B type guy. I hated math. I was always making D's in math. Uh, English, eh, yet that's what I use most of now. But. Uh, in those days, I was really into architectural drafting. 
drawing house plans and and all kinds of plans, all kinds of buildings. And I was good enough that my drafting teacher was selling my uh, projects when I was still a senior in high school. And so I thought that's what I would do. Uh, I missed one point the entire senior year in architectural drafting, and that's because I got in a hurry and misspelled a word. Uh, I loved it. That's about the only thing that I felt like I could do, that and play basketball. I was a baller back in the day. I was skinny, believe it or not. And uh, that's about the only thing I, so I, preaching wasn't even on the radar until I got right with God. And after I got right with God, lived for him a while, I started being passionate about the things of God and God saw that. And that's why I think God called me to preach because I was passionate about the kingdom long before I was ever a preacher in the kingdom. Bradley asked the question, how old were you when you, what was it? Felt the call of God. How old were you when you felt the call of God? And Matthew, I'll come to you in a second. And then Madison, I see y'all got y'all's hands raised. Uh, this is certainly not a suggestion I cast the devil out of some of you guys, but I got married when I was 18. Uh, I had been on my own pretty much since I was 15. So, and and I, I was a whole lot older than 18. Uh, like I said, it just caused the way I was raised. So I got married when I was 18 and God started calling me just before I got married. Uh, in fact, my wife had declared, I was just talking about how great my wife was, she had declared that she would never marry a preacher. I don't want to preach, I don't want an evangelist, I don't want a pastor, I, I don't want a preacher for a husband for no reason. And I'd felt a call and had a, a got up and did some kind of little sermonette thing or something before we were ever married. And then, uh, <laughs> After that, uh, after we got married, God just started putting my world together. I was praying two and three hours a night then uh, at times, and God put my world together. So just before I got married, God was calling me. I preached a time or two, and then right after we got married is when it really started uh, becoming a life-changing force. That answer your question, Bradley? Yeah, you nodded his head. <laughs> Hang on. All right, Matthew, uh, you had your hand raised a while ago. Hang on, let me unmute you real quick. You had your hand raised a while ago, Matthew? Yes, sir. All right, what's your question, buddy? Um, what was the church that you got baptized in? What was the church that I got baptized in? Yes, right? Is that what you said? Okay. Uh, that little old church I was telling you that had the wooden floors, they, I got baptized there in the middle of January in Indiana when it was colder than a mother-in-law's heart and the only baptistry we had was a horse trough. Oh, no. That you had to run the water out of a water hose from the frozen outdoor. <laughs> and when I sat down, I didn't get the Holy Ghost the night they baptized me, but I did have stammering lips. 
Hey. I sat down. It was the coldest water I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, they baptized me in a horse trough in the middle of the winter and like to froze me to death. But it worked. It washed my sins away. Well, it, it, since it was cold, if you had any hell in you, it was frozen Ooh, away. Son. <laughs> It about put my spiritual fire out. I'm yeah. I about changed my mind about needing that baptism. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, Madison, hang on. Let me unmute you. All right, Madison. All right, Madison, what's your question? Um, well, my question is, is like, say if you had a friend and she backslid and she was where you were at now, what would you do? that you used to be in, like in that scenario that you used to be in. Oh, like if I had a friend that backslid and was in the same mess that I was in? Yes, sir. I'd tell him I done been there, it didn't work. Literally, I've been there, it didn't work. I've never seen anybody, and I mean this, I've never seen anybody walk away from God, especially chasing a boy or a girl or a husband and a wife out of the church that ever kept it all together anyway. You end up losing everything anyway. So uh, I would tell them, I've been there and you're going to be sorely disappointed and we're going to be at the church waiting on you when you get back. Right. Yeah, there's there's nothing out there worth even try, trying out. There's nothing, there's nothing greater out there, you know, when you leave, you leave the blessings of God. Yep. When you leave, you leave the the safety net that got there. There's a, there's a I like the you leave His grasp, you leave His touch, and when you leave the church, when you leave this youth group, when you leave God, you're leaving that. He's not following you out there. You're going out on your own. Sure. You know, and you gotta re, you gotta realize that whenever you do. If if you do leave, you're leaving it all. Yep. You're putting it all away. So you're not just losing your friends. You're losing faithfulness. You're losing everything. You walk away from God. We tell our young people, love them, reach for them as much as you can, but you can't hang with them anymore. Right. You can't try to run with that. Anybody else got a question? See, Noah had a question right here. Hang on. Let me unmute you, Noah. Noah. All right, Noah, what's your question, buddy? Well, um, question is, uh, during that time where you you said you were in the church and then for a little bit you got back, uh, you went back to your normal ways, right? Uh, I went around church. I never really had a relationship with God. I had a relationship with some of the people. Uh, I had some folks I'd become uh, acquainted with, but selling out, that, my, uh, just, just elements that I can't talk about for fear that it would be put out on, uh, put out on the internet and uh, for instance, we can, chop it. Hmm? we can chop this part out. Okay. Uh, if we have to, my it, it was so erratic. My background was so chaotic. I just saw my sister here several months back, 
and she was saying she's five years younger than I was, so she was five when my mama died and uh, ten when my dad died. Uh, she was talking about evidently something had happened in her past. She'd blocked out a lot of the memories and it talked about going to see somebody to help her unlock those memories. And I told her, I said, baby, don't do that. You're by far better off not knowing some of the stuff and seeing some of that stuff. Uh, my sister's a great person. I love her. Wish I could be around her more. So to answer your question, Noah, I was around the church. I tried to to live a little better when I was there, but to say I was really in the church, I, I made some dumb mistakes. <clears throat> uh, when my dad died, it really threw me. Uh, I was trying to go to church before that, some, and uh, got the thunder beat out of me several times. Uh, because I went to church. And uh, so having said that, uh, when I got a hold of God after my dad died, after I went and became an idiot, uh, when I finally come back to God, come back to the church, I, got a, I didn't just come to the church, I got a hold of God. And that is what changed me. It's hard to live this kind of life without God. And that's why I struggled when I was go visit because I knew I loved it. I knew I wanted to be a part of something bigger, but uh, it was really rough on me, really rough on me. But I made it and I've been making it here for 32 years. <laughs> Somebody else. Any other questions guys? Wave your hand at the screen or do the raise of the hand thing and we'll unmute Stephen. you. Steven, all right, hang on, buddy. I'm going to unmute you. All right, Steven, what's your question? After I was a preacher, did I ever backslide? Or try to? No. <clears throat> no. That's not to say I didn't struggle, Steven. I had, I had struggles. I had a lot of struggles. Again, I was pretty much alone. Uh, a lot of my childhood so I had a lot of struggles but once I got right with God once I felt a call to preach uh, ne no never ever ever entertained a thought of backsliding that's again there's a difference in struggling and backsliding everybody struggles that don't mean you backslid Definitely. And that's that's something every one of you young people need to get in your spirit early. Everybody going to struggle. But when you struggle, you got to realize that does not mean that I backslid. Doesn't mean that God don't love me. Doesn't mean that I don't love God. Does that answer your question, Stephen? Stephen, was that, was that good? Sorry, I, I had you muted, buddy. All right. Any other questions from anybody? You guys just ask whatever you want. It ain't exactly like we're in a big hurry here. Anybody wave their hands? Oh. Unless y'all having a big get together later with all the young people. Uh, ain't none of us going nowhere that I know of. Yeah. Where was like the first place that you preached outside of your home church? <clears throat> I preached at my home church. The first service 
I preached out of my home church, uh, was in Bloomington, Indiana, for a fellow named Glenn Bogue, who had been the first ever apostolic missionary to Australia. And that's ironic because coming back here, when I came here, Brother Brian was the second missionary to Australia. But uh, I'll never forget it. I was I was there to preach when I got there. It was kind of an old church. And uh, I'm nervous, man. I'd never preached out from anywhere but my home church. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I had magnificent sermons in those days. Seven, eight minutes, I was done. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'd get Sounds up like doing me and my service. best. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we get in there, and there's this big old country dude comes up behind me. He said, hey, who are you? I said, I'm Brother White. And he said, you that preacher we got to dance? Yes, sir. And I stuck my hand out to shake his hand. He said, we don't shake hands like that around here. We're farmers. Okay. <laughs> Hold your head up like this. He said, we're farmers. He said, hold your hands like this. So I did. So he said, how you doing? <laughs> and when he did, I jerked my hands away and looked back, and everybody in the congregation was cackling because oh, evidently he did that to everybody. It mortified me. So my first ever meeting outside of my home <laughs> church was, yeah, that just about ruined the ministry. Right uh, but it was in Bloomington, the first revival. I ever preached was in a place called Paoli, Indiana, out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, went there. The first ever revival I preached was in Paoli, Indiana. <laughs> Brother Johnson sent me there. My father-in-law had me come preach a lot in those days. By then, he had taken a church in Berea, Kentucky, so uh, he had me come preach a lot shortly after that. But I guess he wanted to try me out on everybody else since I stole his daughter. <laughs> Man. This yeah. Really how do you? How, how do you? How did you follow? Did, was that before the preaching that he did that, or after the oh, preaching? But, well, before the preaching, pastor <laughs> wasn't even there yet. So did you try not to look at him when you were oh, preaching? Oh God, I was so humiliated. <laughs> All I could think the whole time I'm preaching is that dude standing there like that. <laughs> That's when you just look at your notes and then look at the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> that day it was six minutes instead of seven. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up and get on out of there. Oh, it was horrendous. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Bradley's got a question here. How did you overcome the nerves and the nerves of answering the call of God placed on your life? And what advice would you give to a young person that feels a call, but their nerves sometimes get the best of them, and not just a call to preach? Yeah. I know that. Uh, I know it was called to preach, but. Say someone feels a call to a certain ministry, but point of matter. Oh, that was Kendra's question. Oh, sorry, that's Kendra's question. Uh, but say someone feels a call to a certain ministry, but is too nervous. Let me help you with that, Sister Kendra. Nerves will always be a problem. These idiots that get up and say, "I'm not even nervous tonight," <laughs> I don't know in almost 40 years full-time ministry, honest to God, darling, I don't know if I've ever stood in a pulpit and not been nervous. Now, I put on a good show every now and then. Uh, 
all my preachers, I tell them, don't act like you're nervous when you get up there because it makes everybody else nervous. But nerves will always be a problem. Uh, you just have to know before you get there that I've heard from God and God's going to help me. God's going to take care of it. I remember when I when we was talking a minute ago about the day that God called me to preach. <clears throat> In that room that night, I'd seen a, my first pastor backslid. My dad didn't give me any kind of a spiritual pedigree at all. So when God called me to preach, I knew the instant God called me to preach. And I was convinced God was talking to somebody else, and I just overheard the conversation. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine him calling me to preach. And uh, I said, God, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not able. If my pastor messed up, I ain't got a chance. And, and, and I don't have any kind of a pedigree, God. I'm not worthy to, to preach. And I'll never forget what God said in that moment. I was on my knees in a prayer room. We had a huge prayer room there. God said, my blood will make you worthy. And my, my anointing will make you able. And my blood will make you worthy. And when God said that, everything in my world changed. And I've always had a little bit of a nerve issue as far as, you know, nobody really knows how to, uh, how to operate in the spirit. You gotta follow after that. But again, having said all of that, I, uh, nerves will always, always, always be an issue. Uh, so Gracie asked, how did you come to pastor in Silsby, Texas? Ooh, girl. I, I, I'm asking myself that 32 years later. Is that just over Gracie or? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had evangelized eight years. I pastored for about six months, a place called Portsmouth, Ohio, uh, I traveled, I loved evangelizing. That was my first calling, was to evangelize. I done made Bradley so mad he hung up. No, he didn't, there he is. Uh, no, he just left the room. I, uh, <laughs> anyway, I had three churches open up want me to come pastor them. I had one of them uh, was my home church, which is where I thought I'd probably go. The second one was another church in Indiana, great, great church. Uh, I, could have, I could have pastored that one. And then Brother Brian, I preached a revival here three weeks. And it was not the church then as it is today. I preached three weeks and when I left, I swore I would never come back to Sealsby, Texas. I didn't like nothing about Texas, didn't like nothing about the preachers, didn't like nothing. I, I found every reason in the world why I'd never go back to Texas. And within short order, God started shutting doors. I didn't know what to do. I just knew my heart was one place, but I kept feeling like maybe I needed to check this Texas thing out, even though it was last on my list. I went to a meeting one night with Lee Stone King, and he was up preaching in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I thought, I need a word from God. I gotta have a word from God. Something's changing. And went through the entire service. Nobody said a word to me. Me, We got there late, so we were sitting on the very back row of this huge church. 
dismissed church and all of a sudden I heard people screaming and shouting and looked up and Lee Stone King come running on the back of the pews to where I was at. And he grabbed me and started prophesying over me. I said, Brother Stone King, I got serious decisions to make. He said, God said, go south. <laughs> well, one of them was in southern Indiana. That's where my heart was. And he said, no, boy, no. God said, go south. I said, well, the other one's in Texas. He said, that's south. And that's how I ended up coming back here. I told Brother Brian, when I come, I'm still trying to be belligerent. Former pastor was here. I said, I want you to know I'm coming for three months. But I will never stay there. And when I leave, I don't want you poor-mouthing and following after me and begging me to stay. And that's been 32 years ago. Mm -hmm. I ain't never hooked up my truck and trailer since, Sister Amber. <laughs> never hooked it up since. Hmm. All right, any other questions? I have another one. Go for it. <laughs> I'm sorry, keep asking. You're not bothering me, baby. Um, if there was one thing that you could tell like your young people and your hyphen that you as a pastor need from them, what would it be? Faithfulness. I can work with any of you if you're faithful. But if you're not faithful, I can't work with you. God can't work with you if you're not faithful. So as far as what I need from young people, I need you to be consistent, be faithful. Just keep loving. I don't care what kind of struggle you're in. Just keep loving God. That's what matters. And ultimately, if you put him first, you make sure you stay faithful. He'll start putting the pieces of the puzzle together in your world, and he will position you. I'm convinced there's another Doug White right there on the screen in front of me. I'm convinced somebody, some of you out there are going to be the people that finds another Doug White like that family did in my home church. Somebody out there is going to get that job done. And it might as well be you. Might as well do it. Don't ever disqualify yourself from being used to God. I don't care what anybody ever tells you, what anybody ever says. Don't ever say, well, my home life's this. I don't have no pedigree. My family didn't teach. Don't ever say that you can't be used of God. God is an equal opportunity employer. God will use anybody that'll love him and be faithful to him. That's the bottom line. And now he may not use you the way you thought he'd use you, but he will use you. Mark my words, he'll use you. But you've got to make sure that you're faithful to him. Got to make sure you're faithful to him. Right. And God will use you on the level that you give him. Yep. So whatever you give him, however much you give him, he'll use you. God will never use you beyond your commitment. Ever. If you only give him 25%, he'll only use you 25% of the time. Exactly if you only right. give him the time that you're at church, which is 3% of the week. Uh, according to the hours and everything. Wow. Two services, uh, two services on Sunday, and one service on Tuesday. That's six that's, hours out of a hundred, out of a hundred and sixty-eight hours a week. That is three percent. So if you give God three percent of your your life, 
God's going to give you 3% too. Absolutely. So you got to give them 100%. Absolutely. So any other questions, fellas, ladies and gentlemen? Ain't no question you're not welcome to ask. If I can't answer it, I'll tell you. Oh, here's Stephen up here. All right, Stephen. All right, Stephen, what's your question, buddy? The most amazing miracle I ever saw. That what you're asking? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. I was preaching to church <clears throat> one time. A man, backslider, had a motorcycle accident, and he was in cast and uh, didn't know if he's going. Didn't expect him to live, and somehow uh, they talked the family into checking him out of the hospital. They wheeled him in a hospital bed right down the middle aisle of the church, put him right up by the front row. And while I was preaching that night, the Holy Ghost hit him. And I watched them arms start flailing. Next thing I know, those legs are supposed to be paralyzed the rest of his life. He started kicking those legs. And God absolutely healed that man in one service. We saw a dead woman raised one night in my home church. Uh, it was the pastor's grandmother died and uh, prayed, and God raised her up. Uh, Ethiopia. There was a guy, Stephen, in Ethiopia that had a glass eye. And he got to shouting and dancing, jumping up and down, and his glass eye popped out of his head. And he got down on his hands and knees and was looking in the dirt for his glass eye. We are in Ethiopia. He's looking for it, and he's still worshiping God, but he's feeling around on the ground, getting his hands stepped on and everything else, trying to get his eye so he could get back up and worship. And when he found his eye, he rubbed it off and tried to put it in the socket, and it hurt. So he rubbed it off again and tried to put it in the socket, and it hurt so he wiped it off and tried to put it in and suddenly it dawned on him that he had a brand new eye in his socket and he was sitting trying to stick a glass eye in a socket where there was a new eye so I've seen some miracles buddy seen a bunch of miracles and trust me that's just a little bit just a little bit and that concludes today's podcast thank you for tuning in thank you for downloading Make sure that you continue to download, continue to be looking out for new episodes. We're going to be posting weekly wherever you listen to podcasts.